and welcome everybody to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I'm your host, Callahan, and today we are here to ask the never ending question Is March of the Machines the set that breaks CEDH? Uh, <laughs> joining me today to help answer this question are my two lovely co hosts today. Uh, all the way out from Las Vegas, Nevada. It's Sage. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here. I, for the first time in, I don't know how many sets, I think maybe since Strixhaven, I actually have new cards to talk about for Bergie, and that feels really good. <laughs> so, uh, no spoilers. Uh, nobody take a guess at what it is. Uh, I already know. Uh, but uh, And then also, all the way up from... Montreal, what is it? Quebec? Is that that the province? M- more or less, not exactly, but yeah. Okay, what whatever it is, it's fucking Canada. Anyway, it's it's that dude. It's Pongo. Hey, French Pongo, Canada. how you doing? Yeah, French Canada. I'm, do- uh, I'm doing well, but uh, I, I have to say, I feel like I'm not getting the proper introduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me, the Frenchman himself. Uh, I I forgot that's. We gotta to, add it to talk a about you know to make up for it. Oh, oui, oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> I, all, all this work after all these years. No, Callahan, Callahan, Callahan forgets about it instantly. <laughs> you know, it's been a hard week. <laughs> I know it's only Monday, but it's down. only Monday. It's been a long week. All right, it's it's been a long week. We've had a lot of stuff go down. Um, so funnily enough, uh, about this, the set, um, b- before we get into it, uh, one, one thing is I know Sage and Phoenix were talking in our group chat beforehand about some of the rules changes <laughs> that they have done for March of the Machines and they are wild. Um, like for example, if you make a, uh, copy of a, like a token copy a token of copy, a transforming yeah. card, it will transform, which is it has both sides, which is weird. Wild. Which yeah. is weird because whenever a token leaves the battlefield, it should not do it. So well, you have so to I exile. They, I think the ones that exile themselves to transform wouldn't do it, right? Yeah. I yeah, I, I, I think that will but but I think it work is doing that specifically so that like uh the Day night cards work right. properly if you make copies of them. Right. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. That's true. They, I, I think that's ultimately the, only the cards issue. I think that need to exile themselves when they transform are planeswalkers so that they can get loyalty counters put on planeswalkers and battles and battles. battles. Yes, and battles. Now we have now we have battles. Um, but battles, battles are different. Theoretically, yeah, they yeah. wouldn't need to. They just decided that they're going to use the stack for all of them. Yeah, even, and the, one, we'll even get, the ones that flip into permanence, right? Yeah, and you cast the backside, which is yeah. weird. It is a cast trigger, uh, which does mean they can get countered, which is which which just tickles me to no end that you could like attack into this thing to get it to flip, and your opponents could still counter it. Can still um, counter it, and if you cast it, attack into it, and go to transform it, if there's a rule in law, you don't get to cast it, mm-hmm. which is yeah, funny. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of interesting stack interactions that we can get into with that. a whole new card type. You um, know, it's wild. It's really. I also wild. hate that it's sideways, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna make this set review real fun um, because I'm gonna have to be like, okay, yeah. so um, watch us on YouTube to see our ridiculous faces. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, well, I mean, uh, not to. If you listen to the podcast, you would know that we are sponsored by Spotify for podcasters. And you would know on that free service, you it now supports video podcasts. Fun fact. So it's a little unsolicited ad uh, revenue for Spotify for podcasters. Uh, They already have a slot in our show. But as an aside, Callan, I have a pro tip for you. Okay, if you're on Moxfield. Shout hit view details. Yeah, hit view details. Yeah. You yeah. can get you can get the oracle text, so you don't have to turn your head sideways. Uh, <laughs> feels like, like cheating, big, but it's it's not. Um, it's the new meta. Check out the big brain on Brad. Look at the oh my gosh, Sage, I've missed you. Um, this is secretly a Nico's Angels podcast. It's just we're actually not talking about any social issues. We're talking. I about mean, we'll find we'll find some way to slip some in there. Don't worry. Don't you worry. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Fuck Tennessee. Um, that's that's. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Um, so let's get into this podcast. Uh, this episode, <laughs> this review. Uh, so we do have uh, a new car type, like we've talked about. They are called battles. Um, they are a new permanent type and, uh, they basically come in, they have, um, I don't know how to describe what it is because it's not called loyalty. They're defense counters. Defense counters. So they come in with a certain amount of defense counters that is denoted on the bottom right part of the card. Um, and as it, this particular card type is a siege battle, and uh, which kind of uh, implies that this card type will be coming back in some form. I believe uh, that there are like subtypes for the card type. Kind of implies this will be reoccurring. Um, but so for the siege card type, as a siege enters, you choose an opponent to protect it. You and others can attack it. When it's defeated, exile it, then you cast it transformed. So there's a reverse. They're all uh, two-sided cards. Uh, and our first card that we're going to be talking about uh, from this set uh, that is a battle is Invasion of Ikoria. This is an X green green battle siege, like I said. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you choose an opponent, protect it, all that jazz. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, search your library and or graveyard for a non-human creature card with mana value X or less and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle. On the back side of it, uh, it, that also comes in with six battle counters. So it only t- it's kind of like attacking into loyalty. Um, the back side of it, uh, when it flips and you cast the back side, is Zilortha. Apex of Ikoria, which is a legendary dinosaur that has reach. Uh, and it says for each non-human creature you control, you may have that creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. Uh, oh, also it's an 8-8. And uh, so to me, Pongo, this kind of reads like 
like uh what's it called like uh it's finale of devastation it's finale of devastation with a yeah. little like a with a drawback but also a little bit of upside right. um what's kind of your thoughts on this card i know card uh, like a deck like kinnon is probably interested in something like this um but it's whatever. interesting um like certainly there are kinnon decks that would play it um mm-hmm. But you know, for the for myself, the builds that I play, I, I don't actually have finale, or, or, or rather, um, I, I'm not looking for another copy of finale, mm-hmm. um, and that's primarily to do with the fact that, um, sure, you know, like tutoring a creature is great and all, at least in like kind of like the turbo all in in index, uh, but typically, you know, you want to tutor one creature, you want it to be. Uh, one of the you know like the treasure mage so that you can find basalt monolith and so you can go infinite um right. and so the nice thing about these sort of like x tutor any type of creature type cards is that um they can either find the outlet or they can find you know the the basalt monolith for five mana um hold on or, uh, or eight be- i should say time out before we continue i just need to take a quick poll because you're saying basalt um sage how do you say this word Basalt. Okay, I wanted. To, I thought I was going crazy for a second because that's what I've called it, and I was uh, just salt. like, "Am am I the like the only person who calls it that?" Okay, so uh, basalt, basalt, <laughs> basal, basal monolith. The meme. <laughs> basalt monolith. Anyhow, um, basalt. <laughs> So you want to be looking for uh, like uh, basalt monolith, uh, right? Um, and so yeah, so I am on finale of devastation. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily want to be on another copy of that effect, but certainly it's something to consider. Then there are versions of Kinnon that play obviously kind of more of like a toolbox right. of uh, of like big creatures. Um, you know, kind of more big, beautiful creatures. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, how about that backside though, huh? The backside's um, pretty pretty good. <laughs> but uh but yeah. So that's it. I mean, it's Kinnon aside, um there's certainly a lot of decks that are very very interested in this card. Um as you alluded to, there's the downside um where it's not an infinite mana outlet. Um right. and and that's a notable downside in a deck like Kinnon, for example. Uh but also in a deck like uh Thrasios Bruce. Um, like Omnath. And like Omnath, yeah, where nobody you know you're often <laughs> nobody, nobody good at any rate. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're often planning to use Finale as as a win condition, ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 will have an option to draw your whole deck, play out a couple of mana dorks, and then you make them infinitely large, and you know you just tap each of your opponents for gently for a billion damage. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I think that this card is going to see a ton, a ton of play. Where it's not going to see play is in decks that weren't already playing Finale of Devastation. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, because I don't think that the upside of Zalortha is enough over you know, the theoretical upside of uh, you know, being able to use it as an alternate win condition. You know, in the rare cases where you might just have 12 mana and 3 creatures in play and your opponents, for whatever reason, don't have anything in play. Um, you know, that being said, Zalortha is pretty cool. Um, and I would certainly, uh, you know, I, I could see myself trying to eventually get that eight eight into play after tutoring for something and somebody disrupting my win attempt. 
um and and you know just using that as a beater into maybe like a stacks out board state or something like that not mm-hmm. entirely negligible but i would consider it to be sort of incidental upside yeah um speaking of omnath i mean when you look at the sage uh you know i know that you do you know that that is a green deck fun fact um he's <laughs> Is this maybe a card that you would consider in this? I mean, what type of decks do you think are looking to play this? Because, I mean, there I, there is a market for this, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's certainly a market for this card. There definitely is. So, for so because, like, if you look at Omneth being Locus of Creation, so it's Sans Black. Um, so, being able to increase the density of tutors that be able that go and get your creature combo pieces or just mm-hmm. other things. Um, in the deck, so like the only it's Doxar. Humans... <laughs> I mean, it gets Doxar for two, which is yeah. honestly I was thinking, yeah, you said it. So yeah. <laughs> that's the probably number one phrase that I say while playing Omnath is a uh, final finale of devastation for X equals two. Everyone's like, yeah. gee, what could this be? So I think uh, for me personally, I'm cutting Imperial Recruiter for Invasion of Ikoria, okay. just because if you're, you know, if you're in a primarily green deck, which Omnath is, running Allosaurus Shepherd makes it uncounterable. Uh, it gives that extra synergy. It brings it right onto the battlefield and not having to, like Eladomri Skull, tutor it, put it to your hand, and then put it in the battlefield. Um, so in that way, it can help sneak around rule of law effects, um, which is something that's really nice. I don't give a flying fuck about the backside. <laughs> like, it might flip, which might be cool in a stacked out game, but I think primarily for, like, the way that I like to play, which is, like, proactive and very mm-hmm. combo-based, like, that is, that's such a fringe uh, case to me that I'm like, it's not, not even on my radar, but having mm-hmm. just another, another green tutor yeah, um, to go and get any of the combo pieces that I need is is excellent. I, I will say, like, I, I feel like in a deck, like, um, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Uh, what's the who's the big green partner that I'm thinking Kamal. of? Not Kamal. Yeah, Kamal. Like in Kamal decks, I feel like this is slam dunk, right? Because this, like, outside of Kamal, you're playing a lot of like creatures. You're Winning with combat damage, uh, you're animating your lands and turning them into things and just letting them basically get unblockable uh, is pretty good. Um, I don't know if I'm not sure if in Dalsum decks, if the bulk of creatures are humans or non-humans, but the backside seems like it'd be a slam dunk in Dalsum if they are non-humans primarily. Yeah. It's uh pretty easy for Kinnan to swing uh, sorry, Kinnan for Kenrith to swing in and flip this into an eight eight. Yeah. Um so theoretically this is something I could see myself playing in uh my rule of all Kenrith builds. Gosh. Um just Yay! Being, you know, another dock side, <laughs> which is always nice. Uh yeah. but like you also said before, it's that's kind of like the win conless like come all type decks, albeit with a combo. Um but you know, also in, on top of that we have something I've, that we, we, we can play relatively early on and, and attack into this invasion. If yeah. Should that ever be something that seems necessary? You know, I'll, I'll say it seems like it's pretty easy to flip. Also, not to go without saying, but it is like a very budget-friendly card at the moment. True. true. So if you don't have a finale, <laughs> you can't afford a finale. 
uh, this is a really good card to pick up right now uh, because it's only going for like six bucks if you pre-order it. So that's like not a bad going rate for a effectively a finale without the win attached to it. Right. Um, hey, hey, Pongo, your your warriors can get in and assign combat damage as though they weren't blocked. <laughs> hey, yeah. Pongo, are you ready for everyone's favorite game show? <laughs> Well, so this actually falls into the category of... I uh, actually don't think we have any of those outside no. of this card in this set. And, uh, and this one, unfortunately, like I was saying before, you know, <laughs> Najila doesn't even play Finale, so... No, yeah, exactly. No, there was one that I was thinking that we're going to talk about later that's like the the like eight-mana demon. I was like, but all of your creatures... Like, Najila mm-hmm. makes so many warriors, and then they can combine... <laughs> It's perfect. There's, there's other things <laughs> with that demon wrong? that are worth talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. That's the dragon, not the demon. Anyway, we'll get to yeah, it. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, oh, that's next, right. It's a dragon. Next card on our list is uh, we have this is the last battle we're talking about, and that's Invasion of Arcavios, which costs three colorless and two blue. And when Invasion of Arcavios enters the battlefield, search your library, graveyard, and or outside the game, so if something's been exiled, um, for an instant or sorcery card you own, reveal it, and put it into your hand. You search your library this way. Shuffle. I don't know if you're noticing a pattern with the two cards we picked here. Uh, <laughs> uh, the backside of it is an enchantment. It's called Invocation of the Founders. And it says whenever you cast in an instant or sport. Wow, I can talk. Uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, you may copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So I ask Sage for your Sage wisdom. Nobody's ever said that to you before. Um, I am the first. This is completely original. True. True. Uh, yeah. When you and, look at this card. <laughs> when you look at this card, where are decks that you see this having a home potentially? Um, because I mean, like five mana get any card from your any instant or sorcery from your deck, graveyard, or even something that's been exiled, which is relevant. Mm-hmm. No, isn't outside the yes. game. No, the exile counts as uh outside the game. I I don't believe it does. Actually. I don't think it does. Uh, because if something has been exiled in the game it's still exiled in the game like it would it means like for your sideboard um yeah so karn the great creator actually says notably yeah card you own from outside the game or in exile okay okay so so never mind that That um so good so you get anything back from your library or graveyard um like it's a pretty versatile tutor it is at five mana um it has a little bit of upside like where where do you think this has a home if it has one so i definitely think like low low obviously low color decks with blue who mm. i think blue and red definitely could use this as another tutor um to go go and grab instance or sorceries and a pull from your graveyard somebody go get ken <laughs> uh, but the problem ken, is that you. this is not an instant or sorcery yeah yeah That's- the battle <laughs> And for the backside, like I don't know. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery from your hand, you can you can copy it. 
Okay, like, but, that, but that's a shark. That's actually wild. <laughs> that's actually I mean, a shark. That, yes. Accurate. <laughs> it's crook without the downside. On, on the crook uh, you alignment have to chart. go through so many hoops in order to get that, yeah, and it seven, has seven, seven defense, defense counters. counters. Yeah, and if you're in a low color deck with blue, like how many? You probably have six fucking creatures in your deck. <laughs> like you're not yeah. getting that thing to flip anytime soon. So like Listen, that, that's a crook damage, baby. You gotta you gotta get into the crook zone. I'm, <laughs> true, true. I mean, you can, you know, notably things that damage any target can hit battle. So that is true. But it's like at that rate, do you want to hit this battle or do you want to hit mana right. dorks? Do you want to hit nothing? That's just like one exalted Sarah ascendant. Like, that, I'm- <laughs> that's every game. That's every I mean, you're game. not wrong. Like, I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm a little skeptical for the five mana price and then the seven defense counters to flip it. I don't think it's impossible, but I think that's something you do have to think about and plan mm-hmm. around. Right. Yeah, Pongo, you were the one who suggested this card for yeah. the episode. I Hold did on. not have what, it in my initial what is draft. This card? Be why, known. why are we so, talking about uh, this weird five mana tutor? Um so actually what, what really- are your thoughts on it? The reason why I wanted to bring up this card is is sort of twofold. Um, and the first one leads into the second one. So first point I want to enjoy is, this art so bad, but I have to cock my head and it really bothers me. Like I'm I, talking it's cool here, Callahan. I'm talking I'm sorry. here. I know you're talking, <laughs> but I'm also trying to like this is cool art, but I have to be like this and I'm just like it's all right. It's annoying. Anyway. So so all this to say Let me tab that over to you battle, look at you. Battle being a new <laughs> card type is very interesting um and it's interesting to note that it's a permanent right so Mm -hmm. it's going to actually be on the battlefield which means that you can interact with it as a permanent so seven defense counters seems like a lot but obviously if you can destroy this then you can flip it immediately um if you can remove it you know uh obviously not through bounce removal but anything that will destroy it will flip it immediately but that's not even the reason why i bring that up the reason why i bring that up is because there are cards that notably flicker non-land permanence, like Displacer Kitten, for example. Um, so what's really interesting about this card is that it mm. looks in your graveyard and it looks through your deck. So this can be a one-card combo in Displacer Kitten decks where hmm. you can use this to tutor up something True. like, let's say, like a Neoform. Um, and then you can, you know, for example, Neoform Timna into Displacer Kitten. And then, I don't know, play a Dark Ritual and use that to bounce the invasion and then play something for three mana or, or some amount of black mana that goes to the graveyard, like a Demonic Tutor, which allows you to flicker this again, getting back your Dark Ritual. Then you Dark Ritual, you Demonic Tutor, you Dark Ritual, you know, you do that song and dance. Uh, and all of a sudden, this is a one-card win condition that kind of actually, you know, theoretically, you know, makes Displacer Kitten do something uh, in, in a wider variety of decks uh, compared to you know where it's currently in its niche which is just in decks where the commander kind of combos with it um you know this is sort of a commander agnostic displacer kitten combo potentially that's true i didn't think of i didn't think of displacer kitten which is oh man with that card is busted (laughs) this just kind of goes off with like a ghostly flicker doesn't it um by itself no because no no no, not by itself which is you like 
Yeah, but like with a displacer kitten and like a ghostly flicker. I mean, I guess it goes off with a displacer kitten. Well, but- so the tricky thing about displacer kitten that a lot of people forget sometimes is that it's a cast trigger. Right. Um, so the that means that this card will be flickered while ghostly flicker is still on the stack. Right. right. Um, so you will need something else that you can replay uh, and and not go net negative on mana with the right. ghostly flicker, uh, which is not that hard because what you just described. You know, with the right land in play, you know, will Wait, work. Doesn't it make infinite mana with just a dark ritual and a uh, uh, displacer kitten? Because you would get the card back in your hand. You need another card that you can play. One more card? Off, okay, off so you need one mana. more card after the dark ritual. <laughs> it, it needs okay. to be something that goes to the graveyard that's an instant or sorcery that you can play off of dark ritual mana. Okay, um, well now I'm interested. But it's um, not that <laughs> hard to do if you consider yeah. the fact, too, that um, if you have extra mana, um, you can be flickering this and and just tutoring up the whole combo right mm-hmm. um yeah so you know if you play like a lotus petal at, just after this after you tutored up your dark ritual that's like another tutor um and then now you go find your like demonic tutor to combo with your dark ritual or or just like an entomb to put something else into the graveyard that will allow you to continue looping or something like that mm-hmm. it's nice that it kind of works with like most zones other than exile Right. Um and the fact that it kind of is self-contained uh, and everything can be assembled off this one card, so I I think it's really interesting. I think that the lines are you know right now they're not great. Um, they there's obviously like some optimization that needs to be done there. Um, but there could be something there. It's worth looking into. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty compact shell, though. You know what I mean? Like it seems like it's a lot easier to assemble this than say like uh, ISO Rev. Right, because sure. you sure. you don't have to find two pieces. You're really just finding a piece. Because once you get this, you get your neoform. You get your neo. You use your neoform. Get your kitten, and then you're off to the races. Right. Um, the hard part once right you get the kitten, it's five done. mana. Right. Right. But how many things in mono blue target enchantments? Because this would be very funny with Orvar. <laughs> well, so but it's not an enchantment <laughs> until you flip it. I guess. Oh, that's true. right. Um, oh, even true. in Orvar though, because Orvar just has a bunch of like indicate target permanent cards. Yeah. So like, I, I feel like this absolutely goes in Orvar, right? Like, um, you just in you just point at it. And this is a battle. <laughs> this is a battle. <laughs> this. Did you see? Did you see this battle? <laughs> Man, Orvar is just craves violence. <laughs> oh my god. I want that altar. <laughs> Orvar craze violence. Uh the problem is is that uh Pongo and I are uniquely uh mortified by playing a bunch of games against Morgan, who plays uh Orvar mm. and it mm-hmm. is a nightmare to play against. It really is. Um, it's also a nightmare to play. <laughs> I don't know if it's so much the fact that it's just Morgan playing Orvar as much as it is Morgan is often playing Orvar while Reed is playing Yorion. And the combination of those two. And I'm playing Arden. Um, And and they're like colluding because it's just like, well, we're both playing bad decks, so it's fine. Like, everything we do doesn't matter. Like, shaking my fucking head. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's rough. (laughs) <laughs> Except there was a game. I will give Morgan credit. He only had one land the entire game, uh, so that, that that was a bad game for him. Uh, he earned that one. Morgan, if you're listening, 
I know, I think you earned that one. But anyway, uh, moving on to some more cards uh, for that we're going to be reviewing today. Moving into the creatures section, we've got Fairy Mastermind. It costs a colorless and a blue creature fairy rogue. That is a two one with flash flying. And whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card that has the activated ability that costs three colorless and a blue. Each player draws a card. So Pongo, this is a card that I think is interesting. Uh, it's had a lot of debate surrounding it. Um, a lot of people are, either, I've, I've kind of noticed the talk around this card is people either really like it or they don't like it. Um, and then there's like, you know, the, the, uh, reads of the world who are like, yeah, it's fine. Um, where do you fall on this card? Where do you think this sees a home? Is this a format staple? Is this awful or is it fine? Like where, where do you stand with this? I tend to agree with Reed where it's just like, yeah, it's a card. It's fine. Um, (laughs) I'm also in camp Reed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which that is sounds say, like a military installation. It kind of, yeah, it kind of <laughs> does. Yeah, <laughs> camp. So where they take it? It sounds like what place they take the the what is it the the CEO of Wizards whenever times get tough. Here, <laughs> here, in, here in Camp Reed, we indicate battles. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, so yeah, very um, mastermind. Um, it's it's fine. Um. There are some decks where I think it's better than others. It's obviously not, you know, a massive format staple. Um, I think that in terms of the actual draw, it's a little bit below Archivist of Ogma. Mm-hmm. So I think it's far below. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me um, how you really feel, Sage. <laughs> and so the fact that it has flying um, is is kind of nice upside in like the Timna type decks of the world, um, mm-hmm. which is where I could maybe see this seeing play. Or alternatively, maybe in low-color blue decks that are already kind of struggling to have uh, enough like super high-quality playables, another place for it. Um, it's worth also pointing out that this has the Kenrith ability um, for three and a blue, where each player draws a card, uh, which is not just token text. Um, you know that can actually turn off somebody's Thassa's Oracle combo, like you know right. it, it does occasionally in Kenrith. Um, so that's incidental sort of upside there. Um, and you know we're seeing more and more decks starting to also uh, you know play Notion Thief again, and so conceivably if you get this uh, and Notion Thief out, you know do I want to activate Thrasios and draw a card, or do I want to pay four mana and draw three cards or four cards I should say? Right. Um, that seems pretty reasonable. So I think uh, you know I I could see this seeing play in like Thrasios Timna Shell or like a, like a Timna Malcolm type deck. Uh, you know, theoretically, if you're going really deep uh, in like a Tim Necrom deck, but I think that probably not. Or I feel I, like I, Sam, I, I feel like Thrasius Bruce way faster than I would play this in Tim Necrom. Yeah, and I and I don't um, particularly love it in Thrasius Bruce either. So I I think you know it it's it's kind of a few niche locations where it'll be mm-hmm. reasonable, but will people still be playing it in three years? Probably not. <laughs> I'll tell you my favorite part of this card. This is a two one, and it's clampable. It is clampable. So I love. I, I want this to be a, a format staple because I need more things that I can clamp. I want to. I want to listen. Nothing is more satisfying than clamping my opponent's ragavan. Nothing's more satisfying than 
having a skull clamp down and be drawn all these cards and people play an ocean thief and they're like, aha, I've gotten you. And then you clamp their notion thief and they feel, they feel sad. Um, it took us less than 30 minutes to get the obligatory art in mention this episode. Listen, it used to be Lavinia. I I've yeah. moved on. I I've grown. I have gotten a deck that has access to Thassa's Oracle and good tutors. Um, <laughs> I have. I, I think this is growth. Let's be honest. <laughs> we are. We, we get a. It is a you positive change. <laughs> um, Sage, when you look at this card, uh, you did say you thought this was significantly lower than Archivist of Agna, um, or something along those lines. Uh, when you look at this card, where do you think that this fits for you in the in the meta game? Like, do you think this is worth playing because I know I, I've seen like Cal talking about this, right? Like on Twitter, mm-hmm. like he's been surprised with the, how good it's been. I've also seen other people who have talked about how bad it's been. Um, so it's just like it, it in your eyes, like where does this fall? So I think uh, it's one of those that it feels like such a cop out to say, but it does feel pretty meta dependent. Where if you are in pods with a lot of blue and white, where we have a lot of card drawing, a lot of Mystic Remorse, a lot of Rhystic Studies, a lot of Archivist of Agma, you know, a lot of those kinds of effects, you're just going to incidentally draw cards. Mm-hmm. Why I like it and why I'm running it, why I'm slotting it into Omnath is because it fits very nicely at the two mana slot, which means that I get to Eldritch Evolution it into Emil for my combo, or also mm-hmm. into it, I get to turn it into something else. I get to Neoform it into Spellseeker, which gets me into a combo line. And so it being at that two mana creature slot does give it a really nice boost in order to uh, make my other tutors and other synergies better. But if your deck doesn't include those and you're looking for just the generic value piece, I don't think it's it. For the corner case of getting the Thassa's Oracle player on the stack, like there are other there ways are to so do that. many it- cards that we've talked about over the past two two and a half years at this point, <laughs> okay, where yeah. we have been like, well, here's this corner case where it can actually get get Thoracal. We talked about that with Lauren. We've talked about that with a bunch of different cards. And at this point, I look at that and I'm like, yes, it's a thing that can happen. I don't think it's a sub. sub- yeah, it's a not substantial something, thing to judge it on. It. Yeah, point. it's nothing. It's nothing to write home about. It's something to base your judgments no. on. But it, it's, it is like a. Well, I mean, you could do this. It's an incidental uh, so, thing. Yeah. yeah, and so, um, for it to be a a creature who passively draws me cards when I primarily do play with a lot of Rhystic Study mid range grindy players who you know right. who are drawing multiple cards each turn, it's nice. It's also nice to have a blocker that can block Najila that can block Timna. You know, and all these other uh, other kinds of you know cards that we see very frequently. Mm-hmm. Here's my question: because um, I, I I look over here at EDH top sixteen, and obviously we know that a huge segment of the player base right now is on Timnacrom. Uh, that is a vast majority of what people are playing in tournaments right now. Is here is the question I have for both of you is because it, we both kind of identify We all three of us have kind of identified that like it feels bad in Timna Krom, right? Like it doesn't feel like it feels good on the one half where you have Timna, but it, you also feel like you could be yeah. probably be playing better cards. Um, the fact that it has flash though, that is, is good. Substantial. Right. That is, that is but, good. I, 
but here's yeah. my question ultimately is if I'm going to be playing a Timnacrom deck, I'm looking to go to these tournaments that are going on and I'm looking to look at this type of flash. I, I, I mean, it's kind of a thief effect, but not really. Um, it's like a value thief effect almost, um, except it's not a thief effect. It's in the same vein. Um, am I just playing notion thief? It, like, if I'm competing for slots, because I mean, like slots and Timnacrom are They're tight, very tight, right? Like that deck is like pretty, like solid. And so my question is: is if I'm looking for flex slots, is this even going on my board of flex slots? Because I I can see where if you're in a meta where this like Timnacrom is everywhere, this is a really good flex card. But do I want it in my deck as a flex card? And does like is it good enough in that case? Is it, and then it like becomes a feedback loop, right? Like, so then, that's my question. I, yeah. So I think for it being, it being specifically one in a blue, its biggest competitor is ledger shredder and, mm-hmm. you know, very similar sort of feeling there. And so I think it's like, it's either, do you want to play a ledger shredder or do you want to play very mastermind? Like which one's going to be more useful for you? Mm-hmm. And the fact that ledger shredder gets bigger is very notable that is that's true and it and the fact that ledger shredder is whenever a player not just your opponents right. so like i i don't think it beats ledger shredder in most cases but if you want a second ledger shredder sure yeah what, what do you think pongo in this tournament meta where does this kind of land well uh, i mean the ledger shredder is, comparison is pretty apt one i think because most people i think at this point have probably cut ledger shredder from their Timnacrom deck. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I'm not the biggest fan, but I think it's uh, it's a cool card, and it's certainly uh, seen quite a bit of play uh, since it's been printed. Um, and, and, and I think it's reasonable. And I think this is a perfectly reasonable card. I don't think, like, if you play it in your Timnacrom deck, it's, it's not going to go off the rails as a result. Um, you know, it, it has relevant text, and then... It's also a, a flash flying attacker for Timna, right? Like so the, the floor on it is pretty reasonable. If we look at like, for example, Brian Koval playing um Loyal Apprentice, uh, you mm-hmm. know, you could conceivably see it as a similar type of slot to that. Obviously, I'm not trying to equate them perfectly. Loyal Apprentice, you know, makes two attackers sure. with haste. Um, so I you know, th- there's certainly a, an interesting conversation that could be had. Uh, about that specific comparison that I don't want to get into. Um, to your point about Notion Thief, though, um, I would probably tend to err on the side of wanting to play Notion Thief before this, um, just because, you know, as as you pointed out, Notion Thief right now uh, feels like a, a very, very powerful um, hedge against, you know, all of the kind of, um, like... The Timnacroms, the study, wheels that are going yeah, around. Yeah, like... Timna decks, like... Um, and while it is more mana, um, it's it's just so much more powerful hate effect. Um, you know, like I think most of us here will remember playing with Hole Breacher, uh, just how obnoxious that card was. Uh, and Notion Thief, while it is worse, rest in pieces. Yeah, it, it's not so so much worse. It is just worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, we did play Notion Thief before Hole Breacher was ever printed, and you know. 
we we grinned and bared and, and, and bared it. Um, uh, the before right. time, and then we all just kind of smile and passively wave at. Uh, gosh, what's her name? The Narset. Narset. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we some of us played. Remember playing Narset too? Well, um, I mean, there was a there was a time where like. Not to harken back to what we talked about on our podcast last week is uh, something that Phoenix said is that creatures just kind of keep getting better and better. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those things where the better your creatures get, the worse your uh, planeswalker that can only down tip gets. Right. Um, So like as far as hate effects goes, it's maybe getting an activation, but even then like, how much value is that at three mana? And I think Hull Breacher definitely recontextualized that card for a lot of people. And like, I think pre Hull Breacher, it was seeing like it was kind of dropping off. But I think once people saw what else was at the three mana slot, um, when Hull Breacher got banned, because they all kind of moved off no or uh, what is it, Narset when Hull Breacher comes out. Um, before then you that, get probably, but yeah, a little bit before that. But I think in mass, when, I was like the when Death Breacher Nell, comes out, probably, yeah. yeah. And and I think when you go back and Hull Breacher gets banned, and you go back to look at it, you go, oh well, you know, there's so many better three mana cards that I can fill this hole with, or cheaper cards that do this thing better. But regardless, um, Fairy Mastermind, get in the comments. Let us know what you think of this card. Um, I'm going to give this one to Sage. And it's funny because I think this is the least Sage card I could possibly oh. imagine. Um, and that's Phyrexian Sensor. Oh, two God. Colorless why? And a white. It's a 3 3 <laughs> Phyrexian Wizard. And it says each player can't cast more than one non Phyrexian spell each turn and non-Phyrexian creatures enter the battlefield tapped. Um, I, I, it, the, the only reason it is going to you is because it's the next in our list, and you're the next person in, to talk. So, Phyrexian Sensor, uh, we've got a new rule of law effect. How do you feel about that, Sage? Give us your thoughts. <laughs> number, lucky number seven. The audience. <laughs> Lucky number seven, baby. Oh man! So, Jiminy <laughs> Crickets for our pod, for our audio only listeners. I was making the whoopty do signal with my fingers. Um, uh, as you might imagine, I am not a fan of rule of law effects. I find them boring and annoying. So, <laughs> when do we get eight so we can have eight, like an eight rack rule of law? That's what we need. We need them to print one more. We need we need one more. <laughs> Here, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening, instead of printing an unplayable five color commander every set, print a new rule of law every set. Depending on who you ask, they're already unplayable. <laughs> I'm uh, good. <laughs> so, Sage uh, what I think is-, is famous for playing the slow, stacksy rule of law deck. Oh, yeah. You would never try to go off on turn one with no lands, you would never, never. consider that. <laughs> Ever. It definitely 32 has been lands on only film. in Sage decks. 32? Oh my god. <laughs> Try 35. No. Uh, so, what I think is inter- I think there's sort of an interesting tension to this card is, yeah, if you want Rule of Law, play play another Rule of Law. 
What is interesting though is that it is symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And that you can only cast one non-Phyrexian spell each turn. How many Phyrexian spells does your stacks deck play? How many Phyrexian creatures does your stacks deck Phyrexian play? Phyrexian Revoker. To be fair, they have errated a lot of cards. Yeah. <laughs> Phyrexian Revoker. I, I, Winota might even... Right now. Winota also plays Skrelve. Like, yes. they... For, for we love the boy. is now... All very um get with it. Come on. Very well. All the cool kids are getting completed. It's fashionable. <laughs> it's totes Phyrexian. But, uh, but anyway, so Phyrexian, you have these these Phyrexians. Um I will say that it is notable that Elishnorn is a Phyrexian. Granted, how often are you casting Elishnorn? Um But I mean, there are a lot of really good Phyrexian cards that are incredible hate pieces. Uh, one that True. comes to mind immediately that is in standard and it makes me want to vomit is Shieldred. And that sounds just nightmarish to me that somebody can play this and then play a Shieldred and just keep doing things kind of makes me want to end things. Um, just <laughs> cut yep. it all Soul- out. Soulless uh, Jailer. Uh, let's- yeah, Soulless Jailer. Uh, I, I forgot I mean, I, that is a Phyrexian. I love they, that they, card. But they have errated a lot of cards. There are 457 Phyrexians. Well, no wonder is, they, they couldn't take on the entire multiverse at once. There's <laughs> <laughs> only one for every day of the year. <laughs> Plus some splurge. But yeah, I just... Uh, now I'm looking through the list of Phyrexians to see how many actually get played substantially. I mean, and so, so Phyrexian Revoker sees play. And you know when the what's yeah, the other one? Yeah, the Soulless yeah, Jailer is starting to see play again. Um or again. Now. I think literally all uh, these cards are in Winota. So this is Winota card. Alright. Uh <laughs> I, I feel like that kind of went without saying. I feel like I could look at this and kind of intuit that ah, it's a non-human, it's a rule of law effect. This kind of just goes very nicely into uh, Winota, uh, I would oh, say Winota stonks. Yeah. yeah, but I mean uh, that. I mean that is the hard thing, though. Is I mean what like the the slots on that deck are very tight by this point, and like how they could cut just cut rule of this? law for this, right? Like this is honestly just rule yeah. law on a creature. Theoretically, if that's what they wanted to do, um, alternatively, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's like an interaction feature there that can swap. Um, I'll leave it to the Winota players to ultimately settle on. I'll leave it to Lua. Spot. Yeah, exactly. I'll leave it to Lua. It's, I, I she think it is, is a no brainer that makes there. those decisions. Um, um, and and you know it is a no brainer in other stacks decks that were already playing rule of laws, as you mentioned, Sage. Um, I know that I'm playing it in Cascade Rule, uh, Rule of Law Kenrith, as I alluded to before. Mm. Um, just because that deck was already playing, you know, this is just the seventh Rule of Law. Um. You know, I'm I'm kind of already I'm like kind of even considering playing Possibility Storm again and just being like, okay, can you not? You, you got like, you gotta have what the if we just do like if you don't if you don't have the Ottawara, you've got like, like what if five we just played it. fun magic cards? <laughs> like I, I Possibility just, Storm is very fun. You know what, can, Cal? Excuse me. How how in the world can you say this with a straight face? 
When you played Lavinia, they say this isn't a straight face, baby. <laughs> literally, Lavinia. There ain't knowledge about this that's straight. <laughs> Listen, okay. I'm in disturbed. my defense. Omen machine. You, you you can still cast the cards in your hand. We don't play knowledge pool anymore. Because you don't play it's Lavinia still cast anymore. The cards in your hand. What'd you say? Because you don't play Lavinia anymore. Well, that's its own issue. But, you know, if I did, we wouldn't be playing knowledge pool. And that's not entirely true. But um, we weren't for a time. Anyway, um, no, I, I'm just, you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, the awkward silences. <laughs> uh, next card on our list uh, is a card that is bonkers <laughs> I, I like how uh, we actually did not even cover phyrexian sensor particularly well at all it there, has there, other what, do want, what do you want me to what do you want me it to say other it is, it's, a, it, it's it's the it's, enter the battlefield tapped yeah it's kind of worse archon of Ameria. like well, that's what but it that's is the awkward part for a deck like winota right we just said you know like it could go into winota i think the winota pilots are saying we're gonna suck up the anti-synergy anyway let's move on I, I think it's it goes card. in order. I mean, I think it we has, can look at this. I'm, this is what yeah, that was, <laughs> it hates. That it was hates the point on I was trying too. to make earlier. Yeah, that's the point I was trying to make earlier. Is that for all for the for the stack stacks who are you know are primarily doing combat damage as as a win con, like having their non Phyrexians who are their big beaters, who are their wing right. conditions aside from Elastorn, entering tapped is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like having your uh, uh, your Sharn entered the battlefield tapped, kind of defeats the whole don't, point of it. Don't play your Sharn. That's fine. Like play good stacks pieces. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm on one tonight. Uh, <laughs> Sharn is like the only stack is one of the only stacks pieces that has a hard stop on Omnath. So that's why it's like perpetually on okay, my mind. Okay, so that's that's why you, you worry about it. I, I'm over here, and uh, you know. I, I don't worry about stack sex anymore, baby, because you know we just what what are stack sex? It's who's activating artifacts to equip them. Well, that that's just an ability. <laughs> that's so last year. That's so that's so old school. That's so funny. Um, and anything else for this card though? Like, I, I mean, do we have do we have other thoughts on this card? It I'm feels good. like it's pretty cut and dry, right? Like, um, it's it is. Archon of Ameria, but for Phyrexians, and there's some drawbacks, there's some no drawbacks, and it's it's a rule there. of law. Notably, it's a 3-3, three, three, though. I, I will point that out. Uh, thick. Yep. It, it, thick. it does have a body. 3-3 three, three for 3. Yeah. It's not a 2-3. Uh, but it doesn't have flying, so evidently one... Or uh, first strike. Or first strike. Uh, also doesn't have trample. True. Doesn't have haste, either. Yeah, or death touch. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> also does it have island walk? Uh, how the only way this episode could get in the can worse is if Ian was here to shit post because I think that would be the only way this could get any worse. Um, <laughs> I'm having a great time. Uh, next card on our list is the last creature, uh, non-legendary creature on our list. It is hoarding broodlord. Which is a big old dragon boy. Uh, this card costs five colorless in three black, uh, has convoke and flying, 
And when Hoarding Broodlord enters the battlefield, search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may play it. Also, spells you cast from exile have Convoke now. So cool. Why couldn't this be legendary? What the fuck? I want this as a commander. <laughs> and it's a 7-6. Um, so this is a prosper win con, right? Like, oh yeah, this is like, like <laughs> there's there's a really good just, line with this card, um, and it goes into a lot of like black X decks. Um, I think the like win condition can be done, the line can be done just with black cards, so it's like a mono black win mm-hmm. condition. Um, but obviously, adding extra colors uh, will kind of give you additional options as you go. Um, so uh, particularly for like cheating it into play. I know, like, Tasker, uh, Sinestra made a post on Twitter um, looking at, like, you know, you do, like, Neoform Eldritch Evolution into this, um, and then you can kind of proceed into the sort of standard line. Uh, obviously, in a deck like Kalia, you just kind of turn Kalia sideways and put this into play, and I think right. Kalia is already playing probably all of the cards that this ends up being a combo with, and I think the same is likely true for prosper maybe prosper was not playing like one of the cards that goes into the combo. It also feels like a card you play in crick right like theoretically yes um and obviously like it's great with all the reanimation type shenanigans um right. but you know are you gonna like bury it alive this as opposed to like your like necrotic ooze type files i don't know about that so we'll see i mean it's very clean I'll, i i will say that uh, it's, the, it's the a line... little mana intensive compared to it, what eric it is a little mana intensive alive. But in any um, case, the, the line is, you know, you cheat this into play or, you know, you get it into play somehow. Um, and then you tutor up um, Saw and Half. You can use Saw and Half on this and then basically, uh, and, and actually you can convoke this to pay for part of the Saw and Half. Um, then you get two of these, so you get to tutor for two things, uh, which um, you also get to use both of them to convoke for two things. So you can get like and a your sacrifice. Spells have double convoke. Which, yeah, I mean, that's like almost as powerful as <laughs> Island Home. Um, but <laughs> so you get something like a sacrifice uh, effect, um, at least for the the line in um, in, in Tasker that, that uh, Sinestra was talking about. And then you can sacrifice one of these to make a ton of mana. Uh, and then you can convoke to cast like a Purin for example mm-hmm. um so so that's just like a pretty clean line where all those cards i think are reasonably playable um i know that like tasker for example is probably playing all those except for saw and a half um and now they're playing saw and a half I'm, yeah uh. if they're playing this yeah yeah this definitely goes in in tybalt for sure yeah <laughs> yep it's yep. usually valky um <laughs> We don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't talk about that card. Uh, yeah, this seems like it's nuts in Tybalt. Um, my biggest thought with this card is that it's like Runescar Demon, but with downside, but also with upside, if that makes Trade-offs, sense. Trade-offs, if like, you will. It's like, in the trade-off, feels like it's negligible. If that makes sense, um, I, I this getting I, I think this makes Soulless Jailer a lot better of a magic card. Um, not that it was a bad one to begin with, uh, but it also makes you know Dranith's even more problematic. Uh, 
for those types of decks. Um, but Sage, like you said, like this goes into Valky, like how much of a slam dunk is this for Valky? I mean, it's, it is, um, the, your spells having convoke is, is helpful that the deck doesn't run too many creatures. I think we're on about 12. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, depending on what you rip off the top of your opponents, uh, opponents, Libraries. There we go. That was the word we're looking for. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, so it's and basically to be able to to put things into exile and then also running things like prosper, so we get to get more free value off of having our things in exile, mm -hmm. uh, makes it just just really in it's just such a good reanimator target too. And specifically in Valky Tibolt, we're looking to get to seven or eight mana anyway. Right. <laughs> so it is is not a problem to cast this thing. If we need to, but they're obviously. A I mean, you're playing like the reanimation package, right? Like, and then playing something like burnt offering and getting yeah. eight mana <laughs> off of it is so good. Yep. Yeah. I think burnt offering is would be the kind of really good alternative to sacrifice for most decks. Uh, yeah. To do this type of stuff, especially in in black red. And I think like I don't know if Prosper was playing uh, burnt offering before, but I think it was playing saw in half. I don't know. I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> uh yeah. It 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 definitely depends on which prosper camp you ask. There's like a couple different ways of playing that deck. Um but moving on to the next card on our list. Uh this is a sorcery. It is Dance with Calamity. It costs seven Lilith Mana and a red. Shuffle your library. As many times as you choose, you may exile the top card of your library. If the total mana value of the cards exiled this way is 13 or less, you may cast any number of spells from, from among those cards without paying their mana costs. So, Sage, this is kind of like a red ad nauseum, right? Like, Ooh, I love a good gamble. Um, <laughs> and not the card. Now, now I will say... It does give you the option of stopping, right? So it's the <laughs> same deal as ad nauseum, where I, and I had misread that before, where I thought you had to like choose a number beforehand for some reason. So I thought this card was way worse than a lot of people did. Um, and now I've like reread it just in this moment and I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I get it now. Um, but this is kind of like a nauseum with, but like scaled back, but also like pushed to infinity somehow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so thirteen or less is interesting. So specifically in the con in the context of Bergy, Bergy's CMC is like one point two, mm -hmm. and so and with a lot of those being zero or one mana instance of sorceries or or some kind of artifact, and so very likely pulling fifteen, sixteen cards off the top, um, depending on on what else has happened over the course of the game and pull up the card. I mean, how, go. how does it feel as a mono red player to be able to play mono red ad nauseum now? Like, I mean, that's what I really want to know. Uh, I mean, in this eight mana is a lot, but it's mm -hmm. not impossible to get to. And if, you know, there are some times in Bergy hands where you just end up with all of the mana in the world and nothing to spend it on. And you just need something to go. And I think this is, uh, a very interesting piece, like huge piece of acceleration that can really help 
you know, push you past those like huge slumps of like lands that you get into in the middle of the deck. Because the problem with can tripping through most of your deck is and relying on that one for one sort of card velocity is that if you hit a land, you're fucking dead. Like your turn's mm-hmm. over. And so being able to turn through like just those packets of lands that you get on the top of your deck at some point is is very interesting. Um also with being able to do some top deck manipulation with the backside of Bergy with the horn and also with Sensei's divining top, like that's some other like tricky ways that you can kind of filter through and be able to see what you're gonna exile before you do, which can help you give a give you a better mind of how much you can keep going, which I think is interesting. Um yeah, it's a really it's a really cool card. I'm very excited to try it out. Yeah. I I look at this and I feel like one, uh, obviously red decks are going to consider this right Pongo, uh, low color red decks, I feel like. Um, one deck that I think of that specifically I've been thinking about would have been a lot better in days past when Paradox Engine was legal, but alas, is a deck that I think of when I think about this actually is like Joy, what, jo- wow, Joyra Weatherlight Captain mm. is a deck that could really benefit from this card. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that deck kind of lost everything after curious. Paradox Engine was banned. Listen, so, I know that used to be my main deck. Um. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that you know every red or low colored red deck is interested in this. I don't like, for example, Goto. As far as I can tell, probably wouldn't be that interested yeah. in this. Um, it really feels like you need to be on sort of the stormier end of mono red, um, and mono red kind of goes like two way three ways i guess like where one of those three ways is just goto like himself um and <laughs> like he's like one pillar in mono red entirely and then the other mm-hmm. is like either you're kind of doing <laughs> like stacks or you're doing kind of stormy and like that's like prison mono red. yeah um so like you know there's like two-thirds of mono red that's not interested in this and then i guess um you know like you said maybe some blue red decks maybe would be interested in this but I actually don't think that this is going to see all of the red, black, play. red. Yeah, even yeah. then, even in black, red, I'm I'm not convinced because in black, red, you've got Adnos, right? Uh, and you would probably play mm-hmm. Peer into that, the Abyss before this um, as well. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that it, this like really feels like uh, it's got like a very, very particular niche of kind of like low to the ground, um, you know, stormy mono red decks. Um, and, and so, you know, Bergy kind of fits the bill perfectly. Um, so mm-hmm. I can understand <laughs> why Sage is excited about this card, but yeah. unfortunately for myself, I don't see myself playing this in any deck that I would that I play. Um, I, I mean, I I would genuinely put this into Joyra immediately, um, because and I prosper. think this and Prosper. Um, I, I mean, there's so many dumb, like there's so many cards that are just casual staples or casual weird cards that you can just throw into Prosper and they're good. To be fair. Um, that's the problem with prosper though is yeah that's kind of the issue with prosper but um there's like a prosper but, uh, problem in in EDH, yeah. but anyway we don't have to get into that um, dance with calamity definitely looks like a good way of kind of getting out from under the issue that sage described that joyra tends to run into which is the after paradox engine was banned you kind of got into this position where that deck couldn't just keep going right uh it needed something to help it push through the pockets of land and that used to be paradox engine nowadays uh you really don't see that all that often um 
Dance with Calamity, however, I think giving a deck that's pretty low to the ground, like Bergy, like Joyra, a pseudo ad nauseum, I think is very exciting for those decks and those people. Uh, I think it's a really cool deck. I also think, and I, I mean this in all sincerity, I also think this is very strong in a Krark deck. Um, I think a Krark oh. Fakashima deck should absolutely be considering this. I, I, I'm sure you're shaking your Jessica's head. Jessica's will eat but, your heart out. But I mean, like, <laughs> this right here gets you to the place where, I, I mean, it gives you, a, a, I mean, again, I'm going to evaluate it. It's a peer into the abyss, right? Um, and so I, I think that if Karak Sakashima had access to Peer into the Abyss, it would absolutely consider playing Peer into the Abyss. Um, and I think that with that being said, you kind of have access to a Peer into the Abyss ad nauseum sort of card. And I think it's worth considering. I don't know if it makes the cut. Uh, I don't play those decks, but I do. I have played a lot of blue, red, just is straight up. Is it storm in my life? And this is absolutely a card that feels like a payoff in those colors and is something that I would absolutely consider because it feels like something that would help push you over the hump. Because something is it's very good at doing is making a lot of mana out of nowhere. Um, and it can just kind of like, like just go right, ritual, 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 so on and so forth. Like it's something that Blue Red is very good at. Uh, so, and it's also very easy to tutor this in blue red. Uh, so I think that this is a card that I see, uh, really that is it like space, uh, another <laughs> deck that I think this is really good in is, uh, Mizzix and, uh, yeah. the, 100%. what's the other one? Um, the, the newer Mizzix, the one, oh, the, the, the uh, blue red guy, oh, Badger. um, Vadric. Yeah. I also think this is very good yeah. in Vadric. I mean, th like, those two make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but that's, but and, and they, they deal with the prop, the main problem that this card has, which is that it is a lot of mana. Right. You know, a lot of the other well, decks that's you mentioned I, operate, I think, on pretty narrow margins. I think Bergy is perhaps the exception, but Bergy also makes mana in the command zone. Um, sure. Yeah, exactly. Having the mana accelerant in the command zone is a huge boon. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm not saying that it makes the cuts and should be in those decks. I'm definitely uh, like if they're not in Mizzix and they're not in, uh, I've already forgotten the name of the other one, Vadric. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, if they're not in those decks, I will be genuinely shocked because this is a payoff for those. And they're already like, like Mizzix is already paying uh, that Firemind spell, right? Like uh, what's it called? Uh, it's like seven mana and I can't Fire remember the name of it all. Firemind's foresight. Mm. Um, like it's yeah. already playing stuff like that. Yeah. So this no, feels totally. like this is You'll 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 get even you know, maybe your two cards off of this, but that's okay. <laughs> I think you get a lot more than that off I'm, of it. I'm honestly. kidding. I think the, you get the, the joke is yeah. that, that deck plays a lot of big bombs like this because it discounts right. them. But you know, I think you're pretty happy in any case. Perhaps the awkward part in a deck like Mizix is that, you know, you could be at four and like theoretically well, maybe not four, but you could be at six and being like, okay, well, I want to go again. And then maybe you hit something that puts you over. Um, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I, right. I still think you play it regardless. Yeah, it, it seems like a slam dunk in that in those decks. Um, next card up on our list is the first instant or sorcerer or instant, excuse me, on our list. And that is Surge of Salvation. It is a white. It costs one white. 
And it says, you and permanents you control gain hexproof until end of turn. Prevent all damage that black and or red sources would deal to creatures you control this turn. Pongo, this is the first, like, uh, what is it? God's willing or uh, what's what's the name of the card that I'm thinking of? Uh, one of those first, like, like protection spells. Yeah, like a, a black myth. It, it, I mean, what it is, is it's sort of like Veil of Summer almost, but in white. Uh, but it's for you and permanence specifically. Right. Um, so it doesn't have the spell protection of it. But I mean, this is a big get for white decks, I feel like. Yeah. Um, I think what's you know nice about this compared to other options is that um, it will protect all of your permanence. Uh, a lot of those effects mm-hmm. previously in the past in white, uh, with a few more recent exceptions, have protected primarily creatures. Um, and they have not necessarily protected like everything uh, all at the same time. Um, or they would only protect one particular thing. Well, that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like one targeted thing. One, like one black target. Sm- black, blacksmith skill was target yeah, permanent. That's it. Um, and so this also protects against damage-based sweepers and stuff like that. So this is, you know, like there's, there's a lot to like about this card. Um, I think you know, the comparison to Veil of Summer is, interestingly, one, it's it's not, you're not the first person that has made that comparison that I've seen. Uh, I don't I think, think it's closer to Autumn Sale, if I'm being honest. But, it's closer uh, to Autumn Sale, perhaps. But I yeah. think that protection on the stack um, is, you know, so much more valuable, perhaps in with the exception of in the type of decks that I think are interested in this, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, where you can kind of make a distinction. Um, you know, this is going to be reasonable and I think probably a, a pretty strong consideration for super low color white stacks decks that want to protect mm-hmm. particular um, disruptive permanence from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their opponents being able to remove it. There's or like equipment. The problem is you're talking yeah. about a blue white deck and this is I not going to take know. the place of like any counter spell, right? I know. Um, and obviously, you know, there's the other issue, which is, you know, that you know, the Veil of Summer comparison, this doesn't draw a card. If this drew a card, it would be insane, um, I think. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Stupid. Yeah. Ooh! And, and you know, we have been seeing white cards cantrip, so it was not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, perhaps at some point in this card's there. design, maybe this did cantrip. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll maybe know one day. Um, well, it would probably have cost two and a white, and it drew a card. Yeah, well, I mean, you never know. Um, I mean, we're getting a white remand here that's soon. It, that's it. A so, white, actually, strictly better remand. Um, I, I think, but theoretically, you know, the, it's, it's coming in the, from, in the Lord uh, of the Rings set. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I haven't gotten there yet. Right. That's it. <laughs> Don't worry that's about it. it. You're fine. But yeah, no. This is this is totally fine. I think uh, you know, conceivably, you're going to play this in your Heliods and um, you know your your Charles whatever deck um not to not to you know um malign charles or anything like that but it's you know it's just any of the various mono white decks that charles would play perhaps would be interested in this is is more what i'm trying to say let me ask you this though we, we've talked a bit about um winota earlier today is this a card you would consider in winota like as as something that could potentially i mean one hedge you against uh sweepers uh, potentially well, uh i think but that's, also i but yeah that's kind of an issue like, with this card there's two issues with this card that i sort of didn't touch upon 
It doesn't protect mm-hmm. against like specifically toxic deluge. It does protect against and it doesn't specifically doesn't protect against dam. I think that's pretty big. Um, mm-hmm. And it also doesn't protect against dress down, which is really huge. And and cyclonic right. rift, which is sort of becoming a pretty big deal again as well. Or um, winds of abandon. It does protect against fire covenant, which is sort of on the upswing in terms of uh, play, um, which is nice. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, will Winota play this? I'm I'm not so sure. Um, again, I think like Winota is. I would be surprised. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It, it's it's hard for kind of just non creature spells to make the cut in that deck in general. And I think that. And I, go, sorry, go ahead, Sage. I was gonna say, like this card to me reads, if you wish you could play Boros Charm but can't for some reason, because <laughs> the one of the modes on Boros Charm is permanency control becomes indestructible, indestructible yeah. which is effectively what this is doing in most of these cases that we've mm-hmm. talked about. So it's like if you wouldn't play Boros Charm, which has other upsides and other modes. Why would you play this? Like, what what corner case are you edging for that I, I really mean, I pushes think it over the edge proof, for you? I think hexproof and it protecting you um, can and, be and relevant. you is notable. Like, I I do yeah, think that, that it is is relevant. Um, the fact I, that I don't know if it would make notable. the cut. The, the fact that it hits but. multiple things is actually less relevant in CEDH than I think it is in perhaps more casual play. Because uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we play many you know, kind of like two for one type effects, uh, which which you would see in more casual play because they tend to be less efficient um, in mm-hmm. terms of mana. They tend to be less mana efficient, but obviously their effects are pretty efficient. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you know, if Winota was not playing Blacksmith skill, I don't know that this would necessarily make the cut, right? Sure. Um, and I think that that's probably uh, a good way to evaluate this card. It's not so different from something that already exists. Um, it's it's, it's uh, situationally better, um, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the time, functionally, it'll be pretty similar. Yeah, it's an interesting card. Um, I'm I'm interested to see where it lands if it sees play at all. Um, you know, I I definitely like these types of effects existing. I think more of them existing uh, is pretty good. I, I will say this is notable. One notable thing about this is it does also like stop uh what's it called? Uh Buseju and Oduara and all of those things because you and permanence you control sure. gain hexproof. So I do think if you were a low color deck uh that is needing to hedge against things like Buseju, this is a good card to consider, uh, because this is going to absolutely be a protector in that sort of environment uh yeah i think if you're in if you're in black and white if you're in white and red i think this and if you have to deal with heavily interactive decks i think it's a you know worth a look Mm -hmm. for sure um next card on our list is the last of our non-commanders for our set review and that is change the equation it is a colorless and a blue instant that says choose one counter target spell with mana value two or less or counter target red or green spell with mana value six or less. So Sage, you are kind of the proponent of some of the more wacky, uh, perhaps, uh, counter spells out there, right? Like, like people call me crazy for playing memory lapse, but I mean, you play 
bit wilder shit than that right like <laughs> horribly right baby let's go <laughs> yeah i mean i mean you you do play a lot more of the narrow counter spells so like and i don't mean that in an offensive way i know it definitely came, came out in a really uh awful way i'm really good at doing that uh but like when you look at this card you know you when you evaluate it, how do you evaluate? Because I thought this was like a perfect card to ask you about because like you mm-hmm. really do evaluate some of the more fringe counter spells in the format. Yeah. So I really love counter spells, first of all. <laughs> and I think the 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 methodology that we use to evaluate counter spells, I really think has to come under much closer examination in CDH because as we said earlier in this very recording, creatures are getting better and we need to be able to interact with creatures in a meaningful way which is why i run cards like horribly awry which counters target creature spell with cmc four or less and it exiles it instead of going to its graveyard and it has void so it can't be red blasted we need we need better tools to deal with creatures and i think we're we're finally getting to a place where people are running swords to plowshares and path to exiles it only took how many years <laughs> instead of just running bounce removal but so i think we also need to when we think about our interaction suites not only for removal but also for counter spells is you need to think about the way uh the way that you're going to use the counter spell what you're going to use it against and what you're primarily what you're primarily expecting to see so I love like I one spell snare is one of my favorite counter spells there is. It's you know counter target spell with CMC two, that hits most of the win conditions in our format in our sub format. So looking at change the equation, yes, it is one in a blue to hit something that's two or less, but that is now taking the floor of spell snare and increasing it drastically because if we think about you know all the things that happen at zero one that are very impactful. Including in and including two, that is across card types. So not just non-creatures, not just creatures, but across card types is really substantial. Mm-hmm. And so how I like to evaluate counter spells is I like to try and run counter spells that hit the biggest variety of card types possible. So I will never run miscast because it's not a hard counter. <laughs> And I will also never run dispel because it only hits instant. <laughs> I, I don't know if I go that way, but uh <laughs> so how i so i like to run i and i i also like to play more defensively uh more controlly i don't like to um just have interaction for when people are interacting with me um so i love cards that can hit as many card types as possible and then the the other thing of it of encountering tar- target red or green spell with mana value six or less so i mean it just feels incidental I mean, right like it feels incidental, but it's like that's a lot of commanders that are in red or green. You know, that's things. oh, that reads counter target Najila. It does. <laughs> my, my mind went to Seedborn Muse, but it also does say counter target Seedborn, Seedborn Muse. Muse. I think it's two mana is probably too slow to hit Najila most of the time. I mean, yeah, but if you know when Najila gets played again. Uh, you know, also Gemstone caverns on opening. To assume I'm ever casting Najila again, like after the first time it gets disrupted. You did it all the time. Seen it. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) 
Ah, um, but you know, I, I yeah, all so the time. it's like, <laughs> don't listen it's to a, this man. Like, it, it hits a lot of good stuff, and a lot of people will scoff at the fact that it is one in a blue. Right. But if you are playing a deck that wants to be more, uh, more about controlling, then I think this is a very good counterspell. And if you're playing a deck that's more on the controlling side, you're probably playing a Baral or some other cost reducer like that, which is going to make it a blue. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Pongo, what are your thoughts? I mean, like, I look at this and, like, I'll be, because I'll, uh, like, like, I play a lot of the more, like, two-mana counter spells, right? Like, I'm a big fan of Delay. I'm a big fan of Love Memory Delay. Lapse. Big fan of Mana Drain. And I guess my question is, when you look at those three cards, um, where does this kind of fall for you? Because, like, you know, Delay exists, and Memory yeah. Lapse exists, and Mana Drain exists, and Counterspell exists. And so, like... How do you feel like this being one in a blue? Is it worth it there? Or are you thinking of the other options still first? Yeah. So it's funny because I'm on the absolute opposite side of the fence to, to Sage where I absolutely want my counter spells to protect my spells. Um, and so I, I love one mana interaction um, because, you know, it beats this two mana interaction pretty handily. Um, so as far as this card is concerned, you know, Jokes aside, um, I think you have to be digging pretty deeply into the counterspell suite before you consider it. Um, mm -hmm. And if you are, then it can become a consideration. But a lot of decks already aren't playing delay. That's kind of changing to some extent. You know, some decks are starting to pick it up again. Uh, I think you would play delay before you play this. Um, I think you would play mana drain before you play this. And, you know, based on, you know, sort of like what Sage is saying, um about wanting to have good coverage you know i think there's a reasonable argument that you would even play you know classic counterspell before you play this um i would agree if there's and if there's some reason why you can't play double blue i would ask what are you doing yeah it's, <laughs> that's it double blue is and <laughs> pretty easy to to do double blue i think uh with the way our you know mana bases are constructed in this economy days. you can yeah. afford it well it's it's um, more that mana bases are so free these days but right. um animations are so pretty especially when you consider access to treasures yeah. and it's like if you're playing a slower more controlly heavily blue interactive deck you're gonna have you tend to blue. want a lot of blue mana anyway that's it so i i think that that's where like a lot of stuff starts to stack up against this card it's not that it's necessarily a bad card um as we mentioned it does have pretty reasonable coverage uh for a good amount of things but Note it does miss some really notable cards, namely ad nauseum. Um mm -hmm. and, and that's yeah. that's rough. Um so I think that that puts it below some of the things that I just discussed. Um and so if you're playing all of those cards already, that means you're really going deep into the counterspell suite. Um obviously Baral is you know, gonna play this card, I think, pretty happy to have it. Um, but I don't know that there's that that many decks that are digging so deeply uh into the counter magic suite that they would also find a slot for this card in addition to you know whatever removal they're right. playing all the other counter spells they're playing you know all the tutors that they're theoretically playing um to actually play their proactive game plans so yeah i don't think it's going to see a ton of play it might see some niche play 
in some decks that are yeah. digging super deeply for counter magic. Uh, low color blue decks that don't have a ton of options for other forms of interaction and might have more slots, for example. Um, but you know, once you go into higher colors, you, slots get so tight so quickly. Right. Well, now we are in the section with the commanders. And uh, the first commander on our list is Zamone Indina. It costs Soul Tie. It's a legendary human dryad creature that is a 3 4. That has a stack, static ability. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, target opponent loses two life, and you gain two life. Uh, and then it has a tap and sacrifice another creature, draw a card. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. If you control eight or more lands, repeat this process once. So Pongo, uh, I, I think... So this came out and immediately we were like, hey, new Soltai Hulk commander. That's neat. Um, also, hey, new Soltai Hulk commander that has, is a sack outlet in the command zone. So this, this is pretty, this pretty cool card. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was super excited when I saw this card. I think that, you know, I, I mentioned it to you. I, I just love that mana cost on a card. It's, it's just so yeah. nice to see it's, it, I don't know why. It's good to have For it me, back. It's like super aesthetic. Um, obviously, I think <gasps> yeah. Leovold. I started playing in Cons of Tarkir, so seeing the the like black, green, yeah. blue, mm -hmm. that oh, it feels good. <laughs> and it, it does bring back Leovold too. Um, it mm -hmm. certainly yeah. comes to mind, but it's nowhere near Leovold. <laughs> yeah, not, not thankfully not to uh, make any kind of equivalence between the two cards. Um, not trying to give me war flashbacks. No, uh, is what he's certainly saying. not. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I mean, I think this is, it's reasonable in the sense that, yeah, you can do Hulk with this. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's even better than like Thrasios Timna Hulk, other than like the command zone stack outlet aspect. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, 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 I think, lose out a little bit in terms of um, your like backup lines or, or like sort of alternative layering. With like the breakfast type right. combos, um, you know, it, while it is really nice to have a sack outlet in the command zone for those types of strategies, um, I think just having better commanders, like it, in Timna especially, uh, is really really valuable. And I don't actually believe that Simone and Dina do enough in sort of like a finite sense um, to to sort of warrant uh, the command zone over other options. Um, it's a it's tough that you have to sacrifice a creature for the activated ability because you can't just do this. Yes, yeah, like a scepter commander, it's not just like tap, draw a card, and you can put a land into play. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's a downside and upside because the upside is that it can sacrifice the Hulk, but the downside is that um, if you want to use this in a fair way, it, you're giving up on material. Um, so I don't actually think that this is going to be a particularly great deck, uh, you know, let alone a particularly great Hulk deck, um, but. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I like the mana cost. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool, cool concept. Uh, I like seeing some of these team up cards were really fun. Um, mm -hmm. Next card, I mean, Sage, do you have any anything to add to that? Um, I know it's funny because, like, I looked at this card and I was like, "Oh, retreat to Coral Helm combos." That's yeah, fun. it does combo with that. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it does combo with, with the, the and a field of the dead. Yes, yeah. Well, that's a it. You field draw of the your dead, head. a a bounce land, and a blood ghast, and you're going to town. I love it. So I, I did, Hulk was not even. I can you tell that I don't play Hulk whatsoever, or don't don't encounter. It very I think a often. lot of people's minds did yeah. go to Field of the Dead, like um, night uh, reliquary combos, not night of the Republic. I, it's the funny because you can kind of tell like what era of CEDH people come from based on which combo they think of immediately because if i was the, thinking the for older, casual play, not for cdh well yeah but even even then like the the older cdh people immediately were like hey this is a this is a a hulk sack outlet because we remember the days when brawls was the hulk deck right um oh man yeah God, I forgot about and that. so and and then it's interesting to hear like some people look at it and immediately go to retreat. That's that's very funny. Um, the next card on our list is a pretty awesome card. I'm very excited about this card. Uh, it is Drana and Linvala. Uh, it is a legendary vampire angel with three power for toughness, and it has flying and vigilance. Two static abilities, activated abilities of creatures your opponents control can't be activated. Well, second ability is Drana and Linvala have all activated abilities of all creatures your opponents control. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate those abilities. Sage, this card is stupid. Um, <laughs> this card is really dumb. Uh, I am thrilled to see this card. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this? It's very fun. So it actually, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of Tybalt because it's playing your opponent's decks in a low color, in a low color shell. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would scoff at that and be like, oh, that's parasitic derogatory. And (laughs) I think we have to remember CDH has never (laughs) been parasitic. No. You're like that's that's part of the natural life cycle of a meta though is having those decks. That's what allows you know new decks to form is because anyway. So <laughs> so I think this Get is I think box. this is really um, <laughs> maybe I think this is really interesting because you know for there are so many activated abilities that are that are so good. I mean you have. Thrasios in the command zone. You have Najila in the command zone. You have Kinnon. Kinnon, mm. just mm. oh my god, just so so many. I can't wait to put this zone. into to Arden. Oh my god, Arden Silos. Much I'm so excited. In decks, <laughs> much less when you think about all of the creatures that are in decks. I mean, just hell, even mana dorks for extra acceleration. There is just a lot of ways that. This being in black and white, which gives you access to a lot of powerful cards, and your commander really opens up your access to other colors in a way that you wouldn't know, like ordinarily see, while also being a hate piece, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Like I, you know, um, got the card, not Nolrod, the other one, Lecter? Curse uh, Totem yeah. is uh, Curse Totem is a great card. It stops a lot of decks. I mean, you know. A lot of mine, actually. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's like, you know, that's, you know, that's not a nothing hate piece to have in the command zone that now people have to play around. They have to mold differently. They have to plan around. And that disruption in and of itself is a powerful factor. Well, I can tell you as somebody who's played Lavinia, um, it is. Uh, but then you, it's also fun when people just don't pay attention to what commander you're playing and they keep zero land hands and you play a turn one Lavinia and they stare at you weird. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, can I read that? <laughs> um, Pongo, I, I think you and a lot of other people are looking at this in the 99 of decks. Where, where do you see this fitting in in a CEDH? I mean, uh, yeah, if you're in the colors for it, it's pretty much just like a strictly better Limbala. I mean, I strictly better with an asterisk, you know, feel free to comment why it's not strictly better. <laughs> but um, yeah, give it your best shot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, So, yeah, I mean, give, give us that engagement, baby. Historically, uh, Limbala has has seen play. Um, It's sort of fallen off the face of the earth to a large extent, I would say, though, as um the meta has moved away from like Thrasios, Timna, um, green mid-range type decks, uh, more towards the Grixis mm-hmm. core. Uh, people have started packing more Collector Roof and Nullrod instead, uh, and Rule of Law. And so Curse Totem, you know, stonks are pretty low, um, which is, you know, a perfect time to power creep the card that, you know, people were not really playing all that much. Um, and yeah. so I'm pretty happy to see this. I think, uh, a great you know tech choice for stacks decks that may want to be able to tech against um you know like your uh um like dawn waker decks of the world for example yeah. um, i mean even najila right like this this stops yeah, najila even najila to some extent um and then obviously that that second ability or i guess fourth ability because it has flying and vigilance too um it, it's you know it's gravy uh i would say it's a little bit better than just kind of an incidental thing uh yeah a lot of the time it will be incidental but you know when the decks that this is good against it will also just be linvala plus a mana dork at minimum uh you know mm-hmm. and sometimes you know maybe if the the game kind of gets to a grindy point like presumably you're trying to to get it to if you're playing this card uh you know maybe this is also a thrasios as well um, that you can yeah. tap for mana and then immediately spend on its own ability uh, that it has. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's Linval with upside. What else is there to say? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty I neat mean, card. I'm, kinda, I'm very excited about it. Go ahead, yeah. Sage. Sorry. I kind of think of it as like a. I kind of think of it as like a Gilded Drake because there is power in not only shutting down your what your opponent's doing, but also taking control mm-hmm. of it. And you know, it's not not yep. nothing. Oh, I totally agree. Well, we've got we've got another angel team up card here. This one is Shalai and Halar. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Um, that is a legendary angel elf uh, that costs one in Anaya. That is a three three with flying and vigilance as well. And it says whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, Shalai and Halar deals that much damage to target opponent. So Pongo, you this is kind of like a. Uh, there's a lot of combos with this. Uh, it, it's kind of a coffin you combo type of deck, um, right? Yeah, like, it's got a number of one card combos and, and two card combos with it. Um, you know, so I guess uh, like Najil is kind of a reasonable comparison in the sense that uh, you know it's got a pretty high density of those. 
um, that mm-hmm. work with the commander. Um, notably, you know, like the Red Terror is one of those combos. Um, you can also, I mean, sorry, you were saying, uh, and like Heliod, the yep. Sun Crown, Sun Crown, exactly, yeah. and plus green and white for all of your creature tutors and everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I was sort of getting to that. Um, that's it. So actually assembling those combos in these colors because the vast majority of them are creatures um, is very reliable. Um, and so what you get here essentially is, a, I would say, a very um, internally consistent sort of Naya stack stack where you can play all the hate bears, all the rule of law type effects, and then your win condition, you know, just works through those. Um, mm-hmm. you, you even get like Dockside plus a meal that works because it turns out a meal has another ability uh, where you can pay a mana whenever a creature ETBs um, to put a plus one plus one counter on it, um, which you would know if, nice. you, yeah, Kenrith players know. <laughs> but um, in addition, now more people are learning because of Shalaya and Alar. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I mean, listen, you get all those combos. I think uh, the stack shell works pretty reasonably uh got access to all that good stuff um i think kind of the only question that sort of remains to be asked about this card is you know is it better than like rocco for example um Mm. and i think it sort of remains to be seen um more linear theoretically easier to disrupt um but linearity is its own strength right um it means that uh you know you kind of always have a focused game plan um, that you are going mm-hmm. to try to achieve. And if nobody has the answer um, at the right time, or they don't have the right answer at the right time, you you will just do your thing. So it's a double-edged sword in that respect. Right. Sage, I know you don't like to play stacks, uh, but I know you're very excited about this deck. Are you? Is this enough to tempt you over to the dark side and play stacks? Well, I mean, the thing is, I made a Rocco list, and there were no fucking stacks in that deck. You're the worst. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not that uncommon, though. So if I had to make this, there are not not no stacks, but it is not going to be a stacks deck. It will have pieces of interaction. Right. (laughs) But, oh man, no. Yeah, I love... Uh, I love having command pieces in the command zone. I mean, that's why I play Ameth instead of Thrasios and Bruce, is because I love having my outlet for my combo to always have access to it. Minus if you're in a magic straight out. So, um, so th- I mean, this definitely appeals to me in the fact that it goes infinite with, you know, so many, just like one other card yeah. uh, that's incredibly easy to tutor up in this color combination. I think to me, it's personally very appealing. And like Ponga said, the the strength and the linearity, even if it, it makes it easier to disrupt, is you know something worth looking at. Yeah, it really is a coffin you combo type of commander. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that actually shakes out. Another deck that I'm really interested to shake out and see how it kind of lands is Thalia in the Gitrog Monster. This is again another team up card, cost one colorless, and Abzan as a legendary human frog horror. That is a card type now. Uh, that is a 4 4. Uh, has first strike and death touch. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Creatures in non basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. 
Whenever Thalia and the Gitrog monster attacks, sacrifice a creature or land, then draw a card. So, Sage, it would normally be your turn, but I think you're going to like the next card coming up a little bit more. Um, Pongo, when you look at this card, um, again, another Abzan Hulk deck, but this time we've got a stack outlet in the command zone, right? Um, what are your thoughts on this? It, it, it has some interesting things. I know Ian did a live brew of this the other night on YouTube. What would I didn't stay to see exactly how that turned out, but what are your kind of thoughts on this deck and this commander potentially? Yeah. Um, I guess sort of like broad thoughts. Um, I think it's nice for a stacks deck to have, you know, an additional uh, impactful stacks piece in the command zone. Um, mm -hmm. it kind of means that you'll always sort of be able to have at least some sort of incidental level of disruption. Um, I don't know that this is a powerful enough hate effect coming down on like turn two or three. I mean, like most mm -hmm. often three, occasionally turn two. Yeah. Um, just because hating on non basic lands starting on turn one is so much more powerful than hating on them on right. turn three. Um, you know, that's that's sort of the Archon of Amiri effect. If you can play that turn one on the play, that's... A, you would have no idea what that feels win. like. No, I would not You've know. You've never experienced <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> I, I certainly never experienced that. Um, for those who are unfamiliar... From the memory banks, we'll... we'll from those <laughs> who are unfamiliar, during the, uh, what was it, the, sem the uh, semifinals for the Mox Bowl 1... Uh, Rebel famously, when Pongo was going last in the pod, uh, on turn one played a Archon of Emeria, and Pongo had nothing but fetch lands in hand and was playing Ikrokrom. And uh, still almost, still kind of almost won that game. Um, you did get really close. Yeah, it, uh, it was but, like just one piece of interaction, sort of on that like pivotal last turn. But anyway, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, like twenty turns later, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, to get back to the card at hand, um, I, I think you know it, it's cool. Um, and like I said, there's like some some upside to having a stacks piece in the command zone if you're playing that type of strategy. Playing additional land is nice. Um, I think ultimately though, um, it kind of has a similar problem to Zimone and Dina, uh, mm -hmm. which is that I don't think the value proposition is good enough to just give up Timna, frankly. Um, yeah. And, you know, while it is nice that you can sacrifice a Protean Hulk, um, I feel like, ultimately, I would just rather have, um, like, an extra color. I would rather have Timna. Um, mm -hmm. I would rather have sort of those, like, A plus B sort of, um, like, incidental, uh, not incidental, but, like, A plus B backup combos, like, in Breakfast. Uh, uh, Nomads in Core and Cephalo Illusionist that you can easily assemble um, to do kind of similar stuff while you're doing Hulk yeah. things. Uh, theoretically, Hermit Druid lines. Like, there's just not that much draw for me, at least, to, you know, just um, a lower color Hulk deck. Um, you know, before we had Flash, and so obviously you needed to play blue. We don't have Flash anymore. But I do think that uh, A plus B creature combos are still pretty powerful uh, and in many cases are going to be easier to pull off than having to play your four mana commander, right. um, having to wait a turn for it to no longer be summoning sick, and then 
getting Hulk into play, attacking with this. There's just so many places where you get disrupted doing that stuff. Um, and it's not particularly fast. Um, and so you're probably developing stacks. But anyway, you know, it's this it, it'll it'll this take card games, kinda, but I, I'm not incredibly right. excited about it. <laughs> this card rem- reminds me of Anafenza of the Foremost a little bit. I think mm, um, it's probably a little bit better than Anafenza. Yeah, but yeah, you, it's a pretty good comparison. I just and, and and it is better, but I think Anafenza, like her whole niche was that she was kind of just like again parasitic on people playing right. Hulk decks at the time, and like she was just. Well, uh, it, I used to play that deck a lot, and it was really good in the Hulk meta. Well, that's but, it. Uh, it was super parasitic and and great into that meta game. Um, being just a relevant stacks piece in the command zone, which, like I was saying, is super nice to have. But this stacks effect, um, particularly like when it comes down on the timeline that it comes down, is way less relevant, I think. Right. True. Agreed. Uh, so next card, Sage, you ready for this? Um, <gasps> it is drum roll. It is Urabrask. We finally got a good Urabrask card. Uh, Urabrask, well. if you're uh, unfamiliar costs two colorless and two red pips. It's a Fere- legendary Phyrexian Praetor that is a 4 4, has first strike, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Urabrask deals one damage to target opponent and add red. Then it has an activated ability of just costs one red, exile Urabrask, then return it to the Urabrask. Then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only if, as a sorcery and only if you've cast three or more instants or and or sorcery spells this turn. So then it transforms into God. There's so much text on these goddamn cards. Oh. Um, the great work, which is a saga. And the first chapter of the saga is the great is chapter one. The great work deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control. Two is create three treasure tokens. And chapter three is until end of turn, you may cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard. If a spell cast this way would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. Then you exile the great work, then return it to the battlefield front face up. So Sage, um, this evokes a certain card. Um, I I don't know uh, if you're familiar with it, but there is this card from Kaldheim. Uh, called Bergy, and it, it's very similar to this, uh, except it costs three mana. It, it's also two sided as well. Um, but but genuinely speaking, a, as a Bergy player, I know that when this got spoiled, you were really excited about it. You got really hyped about it. Where have you kind of fallen on it now that like the hype has kind of been able to subside, and we could look at this card and really kind of like look at it from a genuine perspective of okay, is this actually playable? Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, just looking at the body of 4-4 four, 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 four with First Strike is, like, it's, it's pretty decent because if you ever come up against decks who like to attack, um, it's it's really nice. Um, the notable thing about it is that it is only instants and sorceries. So that is a, that is a downside compared to Bergy, where Bergy gives you a, a red mana for any spell that you cast. What is nice about it is that it is also a win condition for when you cast your instants and sorceries. So in Bergy, there is like the reiterate combos of like reiterate plus Jessica's will, reiterate plus Seething Sun, reiterate oh. plus I don't know, 
a you know bunch of stuff <laughs> right that goes infinite and so Urbrask is able to give you a win condition with that and also make the casting of those spells easier at four mana though it's competing with things like treasonous ogre Mm-hmm. So it is difficult in that way. And Treasonous Ogre and also Stormkiln Artist. And I mean, like, so like, I Treasonous think- Ogre already comes down and basically are like it kind of pays for itself already, right? So especially if you're playing in mm-hmm. Burgi, right? So you play uh at four mana, so it's honestly actually only three mana, and then it produces mana. So it's kind of like free almost automatically. You don't have to put anything into it. Um and I think that's like the big difference there, right? Like, yeah. So I think the the slot that it would take up is over Stormkiln Artist because, but like the the upside that Stormkiln Artist has is that you can bank your treasures right. to use on a later turn if you think you're going to get stopped, or if you don't think that you can keep going. Um, if you don't think you have like the card velocity to keep going you through, you can bank those treasures to save for later. Whereas the mana that you're going to get from Bergy or from Urbrass is going to end at end of turn and you're going to lose it. And that, that does suck. What is really cool about Urbrass is the transform side. So if you do get into a game where you've been stopped multiple times, you've hit stacks decks, the saga side is actually incredibly relevant. So to be, being able to hit target opponent and three damage to each creature control wipes out a, quite a bit of stacks creatures. Ah, oh, I see you have Adranath. <laughs> It would be a ah. shame. <laughs> it's something. It would be a real shame. <laughs> and you know, like the uh, God, the stupid rule of law creature. The, the new insert one, rule yeah. of law and creatures here. Yeah, it ju- it just misses Eidolon it's, of rhetoric, right? It does. Eidolon. I was just was trying. To yeah, I mean, oh. yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll get you yeah. next time. And uh, that's why I won gut shot is so that I can get that extra damage in. <laughs> Well, somehow, you can't cast yeah, it. Yeah, somehow you've gotten three spells in, and then flipped this through the rule of law. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That is the one I mean, downside. It, is you do it happens. It happens over the course of turns. That's what, okay. um But then also on the next turn to be able to make three. So are you, so you then? Pl- are you also playing? What's what's the card that? What's the red card uh, from standard where? Uh, anytime a source you control would deal damage to a permit or a creature. You put that many minus one minus one counters on it. Oh my god, Soulscar Mage! Soulscar Mage, there it is. No, um, I don't know what to tell you, man. You, you're on the wrong cards. Yeah. It's uh, also got prowess. Um, yeah, exactly. Also, so, it, the deck builds so, yeah. itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if you, if you get into a really long game where you do need to fight through some extra creatures, if you you know if you you just need to build up your resources to plan for your big turn. Um, then the backside, the great work does really allow that because it nukes things in the way that mm-hmm. are, might be stopping you. It gives you mana the next turn. And on the third turn, it's a, like a mnemonic betrayal, right? Which is so good. It's so fucking good. It's every graveyard. <laughs> it's very good. It's passed in flames for everyone. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. So I, I guess it. the real question for me is from every graveyard because you also Flip it back, cast and, them and for free, right? Bergy. No, no, it's not for free. But oh, it, you don't cast them for free. Flips okay. back to the other side. Um, yeah. And so then so it, you get the so red mana. Get to, yeah, get more yeah. mana. Does this do more damage? Does this go in Bergy though? Like, I guess that's the ultimate question: is does it this is. make it? Like, in? I am. 
am, I am going to be trying it out in Brogue and see how it feels. I'm going to throw it in over Stormkill Nardis. Mm-hmm. Um, as a commander in and of itself, I'm I very don't sus. think there's any. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to be playing this over Bergy. Yeah, I, I think Bergy being able to just throw it in off of a Jeweled Lotus is pretty hot, not gonna lie. Um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, you know. I mean, yeah. Pongo, let me ask you. Do you have any deep feelings about Hogla and Yadaro? I, I've been looking at this card for like the past 20 minutes being like, how did this one get onto the list of cards? To discuss? This is on our list. I I was trying to think desperately. I was like, there's got to be some kind of combo with it. Maybe I, with Ilharg? I don't know. <laughs> so surreal. If you're listening, I'm sorry. Kogla and Yadaro is a card. It's a gruel card. You can channel it. And it shuffles but back in. Most more, um, most importantly is that it's monkey. That's the most important thing. Is monkey. Monkey. But like it's monkey. I'm gonna play it in my casual Kibo deck for sure. Um yeah. but of course you are that's a casual deck. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's got the most important pipeline of monkey slash ape. Um and it ha- does relevant things for you know, casual right. magic. But it is not uh, the second coming of Kogla, that's for sure. It is Kogla not, it is, is not. a combo machine, and that this is not a combo machine. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure I'm sure Antonio, if you're listening, is gonna get in the comments and tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why it's great. Um and Kogla this and Kogla that and gruel something or other. And uh I love you, Antonio. You're great. Um the the last card on our list though is Kroxa and Kunaros is a legendary elder giant dog that is a 6-6 costs three colorless and mardu has vigilance menace lifelink and whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks you may exile five cards from your graveyard when you do return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield um so one i just realized that it costs the same as the other giants in uh, magic for the escape, the other like six. Yeah. The ones that enter in attack, that do that. The, yeah. Um, I mean, but beyond is one of them technically. Well, (laughs) it's like the same mana cost as sun Titan and primeval Titan. Oh, like those Titans is what I like. That was, those have the same enter the battlefield plus attack trigger. And that's why I was, uh, comparing them it, was, it just clicked to me i was like oh they're the same mana cost for sure um but beyond that pongo you can play uh what kes wiley and i call mardu dog food chain um <laughs> and i'm a fan <laughs> this this is a cool cool commander i'm very excited about this so it's uh very cool. for people for, for what what are your thoughts on this and as this is like a new modern or well, a modern card probably, but uh, more of a new uh, CEDH Mardu commander. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I mean, it's a Mardu commander with like uh, one card win condition, if I'm not mistaken, with Altar of Dementia. Um, Correct. Where you just <laughs> mill yourself for six, and then you can essentially escape it. Um, and it's cool because you can stack the triggers in such a way um, that you can do that in response to its ETB because it's got. Um, 
the when you do part. Um, so yeah, you can kind of just like respond to its trigger, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to target anything on ETB. Um, and then you bring it back. So you're milling six each time, netting one in the graveyard. So ultimately, I think the plan is to assemble some kind of uh, Abdel-Adrian combo or, or I don't know, something with Angel of Glory's Rise. I've seen lines like that before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's it. It's kind of just a self-mill one-card combination. Um, you, you know what it kind of reminds me of, in a way, is it sort of reminds me of Soul Sadisi, um, a little bit. It, no, hmm. I mean, well... In the sense that, like, you're milling yourself out, yes. Yeah, like, it, like I, I, like, I think that it functions on a similar like axis to that right. deck, right? Like, it, it's very similar in that it, it has that combo with food chain, and in this case, it combos with altar of dementia. Um, right, but so it feels is like all two card combos, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But like, I guess what I'm saying is, is like it it operates in a similar, um, like atmosphere. Sure. Of, it's it's Genre also like Grolnock in right <laughs> in, in right. the sense that you're milling yourself out. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as viability, I think you know six mana for this, and and then also you need to have the combo. Uh, and, you get red. I mean, like yeah, it, it's totally a big boost. It is doable. Um, it, it's certainly doable. Um, and. You know, if I'm not mistaken, it works through rule of law across two turns, which is also mm-hmm. really, really sick. Um, and, you know, other than like a few potential bad hits, you know, theoretically, you could also be doing like Nas related stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think like the viability is there. Um, I don't necessarily know that it's going to be better than other Mardu options. Um, but, you know, I think that it's got its own gimmick. and. I think that the gimmick is certainly certainly can be pulled off pretty reliably. Um, it's the, the real gimmick is that you can play Mardu Dog Food Chain, right? Um, and and like and lose say to that. a force of negation or something, but we don't talk about. I that. mean, that's most breach yeah, decks. That's, that's yeah, that's <laughs> literally. Well, not, you're not wrong. Not ones with blue, but yeah. Well, listen, I, we we aren't here to play good decks. Um, we're here to play Mardu deck. I know I'm yeah, not. No, yeah. that's, that's I, fair. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that being said, um, overall thoughts on this set? Uh, like we kind of walked out of it. I, I I know that we were kind of underwhelmed with uh Brexia All Will Be One. Believe it or not, this set um, like I I think is not too dissimilar from Phyrexia, I think, in my opinion, Pongo. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, like I think it very much is uh, similarly powered. I think we got more viable commanders out of the set. Um, yeah. I, I definitely think that. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah. Sage, what are your kind of overall thoughts on this set as a whole for CEDH? I don't think they're going to be... I don't anticipate any huge like meta shakeups coming from yeah. this set, but I do think that it does have a pretty wide array of fodder for brewing around, which mm-hmm. I think is always fun because it always, you know, it breeds innovation right. in the format, and that's always fun. I like I said earlier, I'm super excited to have three, two, two or three cards to be able to slot into Bergy and to be able to have fun with because I'm also very excited for Invasion of Kaldheim. 
yeah uh, for Bergy. and so to i mean getting another another green tutor for omnath is nice very mastermind i'm excited for so i don't think there's anything that's hugely format warping or even going to be necessarily a huge staple aside from something like a, a vision of Akoria. But I do think that it has been, it gives us certainly an interesting thought exercise for a lot of these cards to be able to break uh, outside of our shell that we've like really have sort of kind of congealed into as far as like, as far as a meta for CDH lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely brings a lot of new stuff into the format, which is really exciting to see like new commanders pop up. And and like you said, Pongo, right? Like none of these are going to be new format warping decks. None of these are immediately taking over the format, but they're interesting. Right. Yeah, they're certainly uh, nice, like horizontally powerful designs. Uh, nothing here mm-hmm. is more powerful than existing options. In many cases, they're, they're weaker than I would say, you know, the sort of, uh, widely considered best decks in the format, um, but there are certainly a lot of viable options here um, that right. fit in well alongside other options without necessarily invalidating uh, other decks. Um, I think I'll say this deck is. This, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say I think overall the set, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of the status quo for um, mm-hmm. standard sets uh, these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wizards has, and, and I say this, you know, I feel like I'm repeating myself because I say it almost every set now. Every set review. Yeah, uh, they have really sort of hit their stride with design, uh, making sure not to uh, print things that are too egregious for the most part. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're not getting a set with both Underworld Breach and Thassa's Oracle in it uh, <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> uh, which is which is nice. Um but you know we do have. I still can't believe that happened. I still can't believe that. that I've never. I. I have. I lay awake at night I thinking about it. Yet to recover. Yeah. <laughs> I. I have. I have my suspicions. Everybody likes to talk about like Wuhan, China, and all that stuff with the like with the COVID, COVID virus yeah. and all that. I think it actually started because of Theros. That is my tinfoil <laughs> oh, hat theory. Is that it's funny. The, my, 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 the bringing of Thassa's Oracle in Underworld Breach is what cursed us. With my my this girlfriend thinks plague. it's because of the Cats movie, actually, and I think that that's the Cats. I think, <laughs> I think that's more believable. Oh yeah, I will definitely blame yeah, that director. I, I believe it. Yeah, um, I believe it. I, I will meet you in the middle and say both are the reason we have it's this. The, it's the um, combination of it the was two. The conflagration. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> the, 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 all those two things coming together, where they were just like, "We're going to have this monstrosity, and also better Yogmoth will and better Lab Maniac, and all of this coming together." And it's just the world said, "I don't know what to tell you, man. Here's a virus." Yeah. Um. I we're joking. It is really terrible. Everything that's happened, but um. <laughs> But but certainly the gene transfer between the cats movie and and you know magic set design is what did it right. Um, in, in any case, yeah, yeah. To finish my thought, um, <laughs> yeah. So we got a couple of cards that yeah, and I, and I think this is again par for the course for sets these days. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, one or two cards that fit into kind of like a wide variety of decks uh, as like kind of a powerful new option. Uh, you know, notably like Invasion of Ikoria, Fairy Mastermind, that type of thing, uh, Phyrexian Sensor, um, and then a number. And we of... didn't even talk about Sword of Once in Future. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a number of cards that I would say are you know even beyond that, uh, even more niche. 
fitting into probably uh you know maybe just a couple of decks here and there uh and then some new options as far as commanders go that will probably be viable um and so yeah i mean this is what i come to expect from a new set release these days um yeah you know probably nothing that becomes a new format staple for the most part uh all too often um you know the kind of most recent one that comes to mind out of a standard set is like an offer you can't refuse i'm sure i'm like forgetting something yeah now and then yeah um but but yeah that's it um we get a couple of cards that can become staples but uh we'll, we'll tend to just kind of be um you know slight improvements to certain decks in the format you know the channel lands are kind of the last big one that i can think of that that really i would say mm-hmm. um didn't necessarily totally shake things up but but really caused people to reevaluate certain things um yeah and 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 you know that's for me what i am now like looking for out of a standard set is there a card that's so powerful that it is going to uh cause me to reevaluate certain things as opposed to completely shape reshape the 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 landscape as it were right um but you know who knows maybe uh the lord of the rings set will bring us some exciting stuff it is a modern master set technically yeah. Um, God, I would not be. I, well, or Modern Horizons. I've heard that. Well, no, it is technically like it is going it, straight. It is going to be modern legal. Yes, I I understand, but that doesn't mean that it's not. It's going to have the same power level. Um, and so what I've heard from people who have you know had some input into card design is that the power level is a little bit more tame. Uh, you know. A little bit more is editorialization on my part. It's more tame than a modern master's set. Uh, That's not to say that there won't be cards that are really, really big in like multiplayer, right? Because these are Mm -hmm. people designing perhaps more for single player. Um, But you know, I'm I'm not expecting uh, another Commander Legends one or Modern Masters type shakeup in the format. But I'm I'm excited because I think that probably the cards will still be a little bit more powerful than a standard set. Yeah. Well, uh it's been it's been good. Uh thank you both for uh popping on. Uh was really exciting to I thought this is the first uh set review I think you've done with us, Sage. Uh yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. Um with all that being said, I I mean I, it, if those who are here for the the Arden takes uh, Sword of Once in Future is uh, really good. It is going to be going in Arden. Silas uh, does let you do kind of makes your Arden into build your own Silas or build your own Kess. Um, but all all of that said, uh, with that, it wraps things up for us here this week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, if you want to support the podcast and everything we do here over at the Mind Sculptors, two different things you can do or well, three actually one you can like subscribe and comment on whatever platform you're listening to or watching on uh the second is you can head on over to the mindsculptors.com forward slash shop and pick up our merch we have a bunch of different merch over there mostly t-shirts but we uh with our logo on it but we also have the specifically for pongo could be a najila cart t-shirts uh so make sure you head over there get that 
otherwise, you can also support us on Patreon by heading over to patreon.com forward slash Sculptors. Uh, there will also be a link in the description below. I want to take a moment to say thank you to our top tier patrons, Adam Hamden, David Snavely, Ella Cruz, Matt Boehner, Michael Levine, and Senior Coupon. That's my favorite of that list. Thank you again for joining us this week. And from all of us here at the Mind Sculptors, I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time. We need to check the winner next.